We've had a great week of VBS, and like many of you, we invited lots of our friends, and four of the kids that we invited came and have been a part of uh, VBS this week, and they've had a great time. One of the little girls told me after the first night, she's like, I couldn't stop smiling all night long. You know, it's exciting to give invitations out and then see friends come and be a part of it and just love it. But you know, have you ever been stood up? That's not a very good feeling, is it? It's, it's not fun to give an invite and then you think people are going to come and then they, they don't come. That's not a good feeling at all. I remember when I was in college and trying to make some career decisions and looking to different job opportunities, I, I had a meeting lined up with this guy and he was going to kind of help me out, offer me some counsel. And I had to rearrange my schedule. I had to drive a little bit to make sure I was at this meeting. I got there early just to make sure that I was on time. And the minutes ticked by and he never showed. I, I called him, I tried to reach him, couldn't get through, and I sat there having an awkward lunch alone. Now later on he apologized profusely, but in the moment just being stood up like that, it didn't feel too good. And in one way or another, We've probably all experienced that, have we? Haven't we? We know the, the pain, the sting of just kind of being forgotten, of being stood up. You know, Jesus knew that pain all too well. We'll see it this morning as we dive into another story of his. Where we are in the middle of our series right now, Stories of Hope. And this story that Jesus tells, well, it's a story directed right at the religious establishment because of their unbelief. I want you to see it. It's the pain, really, of Jesus being stood up and the consequences of those who stood him up. Let's go ahead and check it out. It's Matthew 22 verses 1 through 14. It reads, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus told this parable on Tuesday of the Passion Week. This was at a time when the tensions between him and the religious establishment were at an all-time high. I mean, the religious leaders of the day, they wanted Jesus dead by this time. He was a threat. He was a threat to their entire establishment. He was a threat to everything. And so they wanted him gone. And because of this, Jesus tells them three parables of condemnation, really, of what's going to happen 
happen to them and based on their rejection of what they've done. He, he first tells them a parable illustrating to them how they rejected the message of John the Baptist. He then tells another parable illustrating how they've rejected his message as well. And now he tells this parable. Really, it's a parable as to what's going to happen to them because of their rejection of the invitations that have been given. All right, so think through this story with me, okay? There's a king. He has a son, a royal son, a prince, and this prince is to be married. And so invitations have gone out. There's going to be a wedding feast, but no one's responding. And so the king, he sends his servants to those who've received the invitation, and he tells them, come, come, the wedding feast is happening. But they don't come. They reject the invitation. I mean, surprisingly, they reject the invitation of the king. And so the king, he sends out servants again, other servants with another hand-delivered invitation from the king. It's got the king's seal and everything on it, inviting them to the wedding feast. And this time the king tells them what's on the menu. He says, we're going to have an unbelievable feast. I mean, it's a royal feast to celebrate the wedding of my son. You don't want to miss it. We're having the finest meat, the finest things, everything. You've got to come. You've got to be a part of this. It's going to be a great party. And the people, they just don't care. I mean, some of the people, they just go back to work on their farm. Some of the people go to their businesses. And amazingly, some of the people are so upset by this invitation coming to them a third time that they take these messengers, the messengers of the king, these royal messengers, and they mistreat them. They treat them shamefully and they even kill them. Well, the king becomes enraged. And that very day, the very day of his son's wedding, the wedding feast, he sends out armies and he burns all, he burns their city to the ground. Now, this is just an incredible story, isn't it? I, I want to kind of almost put it in today's terms for you. In our culture today, I mean, just imagine for a moment, okay, that the president of the United States, his son is going to be married, and the president is just overjoyed. He's so excited. His son's getting married, and he wants the best wedding that the United States has ever seen. And so he reserves the finest wedding hall in the entire country, and invitations go out. I mean, it's a who's who's list of the politically connected and the high rollers in our society, the people who are all well known and it, the invitations go out and they're hand delivered by presidential messengers with the presidential seal right there on those invitations. And as the people receive the invitations, they say, forget it. I mean, I'm not going to the, to the wedding feast to celebrate the president's son. I'm, I'm out. I'm not going. Amazingly, everyone turns the invitation down. They all just go back to their work, whatever they're, they're doing. They ignore the personal invitation from the president. Some become so upset that they actually kill the president's messengers just for inviting them to a wedding feast for his son. Now, we would laugh at a situation like that. Wouldn't we say, that's impossible. There's no way that would happen. I mean, that's just totally inconceivable. 
And yet, the people who heard this, they would have responded the same way. In fact, there would be this other added layer of outrage as they hear this. Because as the original hearers heard this story, they, they would understand that if a king sends you an invite, it's not just being like overwhelmingly rude to turn the invitation down. No, it goes beyond that. This is an act of treason. Because for the, for the king to invite you to a wedding banquet and to treat you, a second, a third time telling you about this and for you just to ignore it. I mean, forget even the people who killed his messengers, but just to ignore this message, well, that's treason. I mean, people, they, they would have responded strongly to this. They would say, what kind of citizens are these who would do this to the king, who would snub the king, who would stand up the king in such an audacious type of way? That's, a, that's, a, that's shameful, ludicrous, evil behavior. That, that, that just cannot be tolerated. And so when the king then responds by burning the city, the people would have been in agreement. Oh, that was the right thing for the king to do. I mean, those treasonous citizens, they, they deserved for their city to be burned down. You do not disrespect the king in that way because to disrespect the king in such a, a, a violent, flagrant manner as that, well, that just kind of disrespects the entire kingdom. It, it brings down the entire kingdom. That cannot be tolerated. They would have understood the king's response. See, for us today in our politically divisive culture that we're in, we say, oh, he didn't show up to the president's son's wedding. Well, you know, maybe he didn't like the president, whatever. There was political motivations here. And we can justify things in our own mind. Back in those days, no, it doesn't matter if you like the king or not. If the king gives you an invitation to his son's wedding, you go. It's not really an invitation. It's a command. You're going to be there. You're coming to the wedding hall. You're celebrating this feast. But they don't. They just go to their farms, they go to their businesses, and some become so hostile that they actually kill the, the, the king's messengers. Understand, when the slaughter comes and the city is burned, there were no innocent victims. There were no innocent victims. They all had made their choice. They didn't just get caught up into everything and, oh man, I'm sorry that happened to you too. No, they all had made their choice. They had rejected the invitation of the king and in rejecting the invitation of the king, the just punishment was the destruction of the people. But what's easy to miss is the extravagant love of the king that's offered here in this story. Uh, when the king's repeated messengers go out. I mean, you see the patience of the king here. He doesn't just send it one time and say, well, I hope they come. No, he sends it another time. Hey, you've been invited. You've got to come. And still they ignore the message. They reject the message. And so a third time it goes out and this time with the menu and everything, oh, you've got to come. It's going to be quite the party. You see the, the patience of the king and continually sending invitation after invitation after invitation to the people, his, his generosity towards them, how he is pursuing them to come to his son's wedding. This is a feast that they don't deserve to attend. They haven't earned the right to be at this, this feast, to be at this banquet. This is a huge celebration that's totally undeserved 
invitations have gone out. Another wave of invitations go out. A third wave of invites go out detailing just how grand this party is going to be. See, we see the lavish preparations of the king, the lavish provision of the king. So when the judgment comes, it's not by a king who's just wildly flying off the handle. It's by by a king who's been patient and loving and pursuing, but now he's a heartbroken king who's had multiple invitations rejected and now even messengers of his killed. See, that's the point. The invitation has been rejected. Some were indifferent to the invitation. Some were openly hostile to the invitation. It doesn't matter whether you're indifferent or hostile. It's rejection. Indifference and hostility toward the gospel are both rejection. See, to be indifferent toward the gospel, to be hostile toward the gospel is to reject the gospel. So while this was a message uh, toward aimed toward the religious establishment of the day to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, these uh, uh, religiously connected at that time, the truth is for everyone. I mean, we see it for all people of all times. We see both the indifference and hostility toward the message of God to people. You see it throughout history, and we certainly see it in our culture today. I mean, we can read stories across our globe about atrocities that are being committed against Christians. We, we, we can... If you look for it, it is all over the place. In fact, we're seeing more atrocities right now than at any other time in human history, what's happening towards Christians. However, uh, J.C. Ryle, a great theologian, he says that open sin may kill its thousands, but indifference and neglect to the gospel kill their tens of thousands. You see, you either accept the invitation of God's grace or you don't. There's no, there's no middle road. There's no innocent bystanders. There's no just, oh, I'm sorry you got caught up in all this. There are no innocent victims of God's judgment. The story is letting us know that. And then the story, it takes another surprising turn. It's an inconceivable turn, really, a turn that no one would see coming, this development that takes place. The king says to his servants, hey, since no one has come, I want you to go out just to the highways and the byways of life. Just invite anyone you can to come to celebrate my son, to celebrate this wedding, to attend this feast. And so Jesus here, he's using some irony because he says that, hey, the people that we first invited, they weren't worthy. Okay, not only were they not worthy, I mean, these guys were murderers. They're evil. They're not worthy. I mean, this is one of the understatements of the century. Jesus is using this irony to draw attention to the fact of just how evil these people were. Because anyone hearing the story would have been like, you bet they weren't worthy. I mean, look what they did. Of course they weren't worthy. See, he's getting them all to agree. And they would all naturally agree. Well, yeah, he's right about that. None of them were worthy. And Jesus says, so send out more invites, this time just to anybody, to, to the highways and byways of life. It doesn't matter. And so the king, he sends his servants out to anyone and everyone, to the, to the least, to the great. It doesn't matter. Just whoever is in eye shot, ear shot, whoever can receive this message, you just go and you give them the message. These are not the political and ruling class. This is not the people of importance. And yet the king, 
goes personally to them through his servants and says, you're invited to the wedding feast of my son to celebrate the wedding of my son. Do you see in this story the father's determination to honor the son? See, we get a little hint, don't we, of God the Father's determination to honor the Son, Jesus Christ. We get a little glimpse as to why our God is a missional God, why he is clear on the fact that we are to be everyday missionaries ourselves. Wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play, we are on mission. We are people of mission. Why? Because we honor the Son. We go, we make disciples because we honor the Son. We see why God himself is a missionary God determined to honor his Son. And so, he wants that wedding banquet filled. He, he doesn't want his son to have to walk out and to be embarrassed by like the lack of people there. He wants the wedding hall full. And so he goes and he sends his people out and he wants the nation streaming in, all kinds of people. It doesn't matter. He wants every background represented. He wants them all there to honor his son. He wants it full because he loves his son. There's this deep love of the father for his son. He wants to see his son high and lifted up in a place to be honored by all. And we see that in this story, a story where, where the motivation of the king, of the father, is to honor the son. You know, that's a little glimpse into the heart of God. The God, the father, seeks to honor his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we miss that when we see the sacrifice that Jesus gave and all that he had to go through and how he was mistreated and, and shamefully treated and even killed here on earth. Oh man, how could the father mistreat his son in such a way? You see, the purpose of it all is so that his son will one day ultimately be honored by all, that he will be seen as high and lifted up, that he will work to unite all things in himself so that he is honored in every way by everything. This is what's happening here. We get a glimpse of that into this story. And so because the son must be honored, you understand that indifference to the son, hostility to the son, they both amount to rejection of the son. This invitation has now been delivered to all because the first round of people, they reject the message, right? The Jews, they reject the message. They reject this invitation. And so now, as was always part of God's plan, this goes back to the promise that God made to Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed on account of you. And so as always was God's plan, the invitation goes to everyone, that everyone can come, everyone can honor the son. God the Father is determined determined that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is honored and honored by all. So, that's really the big reason why we talk about making disciples all the time here at Central, because it's who we are. We're people who honor the Son. And how do we honor the Son? Well, by doing what he tells us to do. And what does he tell us to do? That, hey, we're witnesses, that we go. I mean, we're commissioned, the Bible says, to go and make disciples who they themselves are able to make disciples. That's what we do. We honor the Son. We send out invitation after invitation after invitation so that the Son is high and lifted 
lifted up so that he is exalted. We, we're not trying to make converts who are indifferent towards the gospel. We want people who are totally bought in, disciples willing to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And so the servants, they go out just as the king sends them to the highways and byways, faithful servants to tell any and all who will listen that, hey, you're invited to this wedding banquet, this wedding feast for the son. And so people come and, and the wedding banquet is full. You got some rough characters in there. You got people of all backgrounds in there. You see this unrestricted offer of the gospel. It goes to all. We see this is the mission of the church, you know, to make disciples of all nations. We go and we engage our culture and we engage other cultures. We make disciples of everyone. This is God's provision. It's so vast that any and all, it does not matter any kind of thing you want to throw out there, any and all are able to come and make, be made fit to honor the Son. You get a hint here, don't you, of the sacrifice of the son that's going to make all of us, his righteousness are going to clothe all of us in such a way that we are able to honor the son. All can come. Everyone is welcome. The invitation has gone out to you. Make disciples that honors the son. Making disciples honors the son. So, Many are drawn to the wedding feast, the second wave of invitation. It produces a great crowd of people. The wedding banquet is full. It's honoring the sun. Now, you have to know that this second wave of invitation, it actually went out the day of the wedding feast. That's the idea that you get in the story. The first day of the wedding feast, really, a wedding feast in those days would have been a week long. And so it's quite a sacrifice even to go. But what happens? They go. They go right away. They get the invitation. They don't have time to go and get cleaned up, take a shower, put on their fine wedding garments or anything. No, they don't have time. They just go and they show up. See, this is the urgency of it all. But in that, when they show up, the wedding garment is provided for them. Now, they don't have time to go home to get ready to get all this. And many of them would be poor. They wouldn't have even the means to put on the proper attire to attend a, a royal wedding feast. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have the means to afford such a garment, such, such an outfit. And so the custom in those days was that the king would actually provide the the proper attire for his subjects if a feast were to take place like this and the people wouldn't have the means. In fact, even in our own country, it's my understanding that several decades ago that you would have these formal events. And if someone couldn't uh, afford a coat for the, for the event, if it was a coat and tie event, then you'd go to the closet, you'd open the closet, you find a coat that fits you so that you could be presented accordingly, so that you could be dressed properly to go into such an event. Well, the king, he walks in and he sees all these people. It's an exciting scene, but then there's one guy. There's one guy who is not dressed properly. He doesn't have on the attire, the garments fit for a wedding feast. And so the king approaches him and he says, friend, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man is speechless. I mean, he is just stunned, silent. He's speechless because he has no excuse. He can't say, well, hey, I didn't have time to go home and get, get ready. You know, no one there had time to go home and get ready. He couldn't say, hey, you know, I just don't own one. You know, I don't, I don't have the means. I'm a poor guy. I'm a humble, humble man. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have the means to afford a wedding garment. 
No, the implication here is that the wedding garments had had been provided for everyone by the king. No one there could afford their own wedding garment. They were all provided by the king. See, the man stood there in stunned silence because he had no excuse. There was nothing he could say. And then the king says to this man that he has just called friend. He calls the servants over. He tells his servants, you need to bind him hand and foot and you need to throw him into the outer darkness outside where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't sound like the kind of thing that you'd say to a friend, does it? No, it is ironic here, but you get the idea that this man was really no friend at all. Oh, he acted as if he was a friend. You know, oh, we got the invitation. Yeah, I'm so happy to come. I'll come. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the king's son's wedding banquet. His wedding feast. This is going to be great. You get the idea that he acted as if he was a friend. But he was really no friend at all. Kind of reminds you, doesn't it? You remember the story of another person that Jesus would call friend just a few days later? Yeah, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, when a friend approaches Jesus, intending to to kiss him on the cheek, the customary greeting of the day. And Jesus looks to Judas and says, friend, do what you came to do. And then in the next moment, Judas, the friend of Jesus, betrays him. Why? Because he was really no friend at all. Jesus knows there are some people who pretend to be his friends, but they're not. The the feast has been spread. The way has been prepared. The invitation has been given. The provisions have been made. Everything is there for them. Everything is done for them, but they're still not friends. Oh, they might try to take advantage of some of it, but ultimately they choose not to honor him, their ultimate desire is simply to honor themselves. So that's what this guy's doing. Oh, he might say all the right things. Yeah, king, I'm so excited to come to the wedding feast of your son. I'll be there. I'll honor him. Yeah, I'm going to the, to the wedding feast of the, of the king's son. I mean, he, there might be some pride in that. But when he ultimately gets there, he's, hey, I'm going to do it my way. I don't, I don't really, yeah, you've made these provisions. You've invited me. That's great. I appreciate it and everything. But I'm going to go in the way I want to go in. And the point Jesus is making here, no, it doesn't work that way. Because you got to honor the son. You don't just get to come however you want to come. Provision has been made. The invitation has been given. But you don't just get to show up the way you want to show up. You must have the proper clothing. You must be clothed in the righteousness of the son. Because not to be clothed in the righteousness of the son does not honor the son. You're clothed in your own righteousness, then you're honoring yourself. There is really no such thing as nominal Christianity. You hear that expression sometimes, oh, they're just a nominal Christian. They're just a nominal this. There is no such thing as a nominal Christian. You either are or you are not. You are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And there is such joy and there's such excitement in that. And then James, he goes on to say that, hey, if you're saved in that manner, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, well, then that type of faith, it produces something. I mean, because there's this gratitude, there's this desire to honor the Son. 
But if nothing is produced, if, if nothing shows up, have you really been saved in that manner? That's the question that James causes you to wrestle with. It's not that your works, it's not that your expressions of gratitude save you. It's just that if you've really been saved in that manner, in a manner that is by faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, not to yourself, well, then there's, there's expressions that come out of that. There's gratitude that comes out of that. Why? Because joy can't be kept, right? Excitement can't be kept. It's got to get out. It finds a way out. You don't find anyone who's excited about anything, who just keeps it to themselves and doesn't tell a person. I mean, that kind of excitement, that kind of joy doesn't exist. There, there's no joy like that at all. And so it just finds a way out. And if it doesn't find a way out, well then, who are you really honoring? See, you remember one of the most tragic verses of the Bible? It's these people who they thank their friends of Jesus. And they come to Jesus. They say, Jesus, look what all we've done. We did this in your name. We did that in your name. We did that in your name. We're so excited to serve in your name. And Jesus says, away from me. I never knew you. You weren't really friends. You, you might have said this. You might have done that. But your ultimate motivation was not the glory of God alone. Your faith was not in me alone. It was ultimately at some point to honor yourself. And that, well, that's honoring the wrong person. You're not right. You're not able to enter the feast just the way you want to enter the feast. You know, Jesus, he told this parable, this story, to the religious establishment. It's a religious establishment made up of strange political bedfellows, let's just say. You've got Pharisees, you've got Sadducees, you've got Herodians. All of them have different motivations, but their rejection of Jesus is all the same. Yes, for some of them, it's indifference toward Jesus. Yes, for others, it is open hostility towards Jesus, which will end in the crucifixion of Jesus. But understand, Jesus is saying, you guys think you're going to put me on trial? You guys are ultimately the ones on trial. And based on your indifference and hostility towards me. It's all the same. It's rejection of the gospel. And so you're not coming to the wedding feast. You don't get to enjoy the benefit of the relationship because there is no relationship. And then he turns to those who are friends. You know, it's like the crowds that you see appearing over and over and over again in Matthew's gospel. And they hear Jesus teaching and they're filled with amazement and astonishment. But as Matthew points out throughout his gospel, that an emotional response to Jesus' teaching, to be amazed at Jesus' teaching, to be astonished at Jesus' teaching, to say in the moment, wow, that's great, that's awesome. That's not the same as to really be clothed in the righteousness of the Son. It's not the same as honoring the Son. You can have an emotional response to a teaching and yet still not honor the Son. And so you see the crowds who will shout Hosanna just a couple days before and just a couple days later after this, well, they'll be shouting, give us Barabbas. And so Jesus says to them too, that is a rejection of the gospel. See, both, both groups... The religious establishment, the crowds, ultimately, they stood up the king. And so now the question comes to us. Will we stand up the king? Oh, maybe it's just indifference. Maybe it's hostility. Maybe we think we're good, but really it's just about ourselves. Or will we live lives that honor the son 
because this expresses the heart of the king. That's the choice, isn't it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you've done for us, for the wave after wave of invitation that you've extended to us, that you've hand-delivered, that you found us and delivered this invitation. An invitation that we can come to a feast where everything's been prepared, that we don't deserve to attend, that you provide even the provision for us to get in. And God, even beyond that, you now extend to us the, the right, the privilege of being your messengers, of going with the invitation that has once been given to us, now to others, to say the king would like you to come to celebrate, to honor his son. God, may we honor your son well. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.